Before we begin uh, this sermon and studying God's Word, let's just pause for a minute. You guys may not feel quite as harried as I do, but uh, I'd just like to pause for a minute and take a breath and pray and um, ask that God will continue to work in our hearts as a church. Would you bow with me? Father, thank you so much for what you've done in the lives and the hearts of Alvin and Michelle Joyner. Lord, I thank you for the work that you're doing in your people, that you're building your church. Father, now we turn our attention to your word. We pause to listen. And I ask for your help. I ask that you'll help me to communicate it clearly. That your Holy Spirit would be searching our hearts and revealing what's in there, what's true, what's uh, sinful. That you'd be calling many to repent, to turn. Even those who are Christians. And Lord, we, we just ask for revival. As individuals and families and as a church, we just we ask that you would bring times of refreshing and that our light would shine forth like you described in the book of Isaiah. Lord, that's our prayer. In Jesus' name, amen. We are in our third Sunday of a one-month-long sermon series called Seeking Revival. We're in this series because next month we're going to hold revival services. Again, you cannot have revival like you have chicken fingers at Chili's. But you can seek revival. And I said there's four wheels basically on the van that we're driving to seek revival. It helps me to visualize. The first Sunday we talked about humility. Last Sunday we talked about prayer. This Sunday we're going to talk about repentance. And next Sunday we're going to talk about worship. Um, I think that this series is coming at a good time. As I know many of you are, like I am, uh, tired. And many are stressed. And many are depressed and down. And just bogged down and, and wrestling through challenges at, at home or at work or in your, just in your personal life. And I think it's appropriate for us to come together and just go to God together and say, please revive us. Please cleanse out anything that's just slowing us down and clogging us up as people and as a church. And I think he is doing that. I know he's doing that in my heart. Um, I've seen evidence of humility of people who are coming to grips with some of their selfishness. Remember, humility isn't thinking lowly of yourself. It's thinking less of yourself. It's not thinking about yourself in a low way. It's not thinking about yourself at all. It's escape from yourself so you can worship God and love other people. Uh, The prayer study in particular has had an impact on me. And my prayer life has deepened. Has yours? Did Did you take that to heart? Have you been pursuing God in prayer? Because it's amazing. And, you know, I don't, I'm always careful because I don't want you to expect to go home and pray and all of a sudden explosions of awesomeness to be going on all around you because God's going to do what he's going to do. But the fact is he does respond to prayer. And just since this week has been more prayerful for me, I feel like things are happening. Deep heart level change is going on around me that I can't explain by my super neat sermons and Or anything like that. People being freed from sin. 
Um, I'll share briefly with you. Um, well, no, that's too personal for somebody else. I'm not going to share that. That's why it's good to stick to your notes, Matt. <laughs> so today we move on to repentance. And we'll read, if you'll flip with me in your Bibles, uh, to Second Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14. This is our uh, sort of theme verse for this whole month. We'll read that to start us off. Second Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14. Don't be ashamed to use your um, index in the front of your Bible because I know you're not all reading Second Chronicles all the time. Second Chronicles seven fourteen. God says to his people, in Second Chronicles seven fourteen, If my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. As we've said, this is a, an Old Testament passage. It was said by God to a particular group of people in a particular time. But it reveals how God works. People who are humble and prayerful and repentant and seeking him are the kinds of people that he tends to revive and refresh and give new life. So we want to be that kind of person. And you find it again in the New Testament, in the book of Acts. By the way, we're going to be flipping all over the place in our Bibles. So you can either listen, just listen and not try to keep up, or you can try to keep up. We're going to be going all over the place in the Bible today. In Acts chapter 3, verse 19, the, the church just exploded. Jesus had just been crucified, risen again. This historical event happened. He had gotten with his disciples and said, go tell everybody about me and make disciples, help people grow in following me. And then he ascended. And then Peter and those disciples got to work, going around spreading the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ. And things were happening. Thousands of people were coming to Christ. That's the context of this verse. Here, I think this is, yeah, this is Peter preaching to some Jewish people. And he says, he just tells them all about Jesus and basically says, you guys crucified him. And then he says, repent, therefore, and turn again that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. Times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. That word refreshing, if you dig down to the roots of it, it carries the idea of breathing easy. Peter says, repent. When you repent and you go to God through Jesus Christ, your sins will be removed and you'll be able to breathe easy again. When's the last time some of you just breathed easy? That you just felt refreshed? How many of us are not breathing easy these days. Well, maybe the path there is to turn and repent. Repent, I've told you before, is a military term. It means to do an about face, to just turn your direction from sin toward God. And Peter promises, we'll be refreshed. We'll breathe easy again. Basically, sin cuts us off from God and being disconnected from God is like being a fish out of water. You've heard that phrase, fish out of water. You've seen those fish out of water movies. Like a kindergarten cop, he's a tough cop, but then he's thrust into elementary school teaching a kindergarten class and he's a fish out of water. Makes for a great story. But don't forget that 
you take a fish out of water and they die. It's a little darker than kindergarten cop got. Being separated from God just brings death, deathliness. And repentance takes us back. Some of us in this room need to repent. Some of you, I haven't even described what repentance is, and I'll bet some of you already know in your mind, something's dancing around in your mind that you know you need to turn from. And it's so foundational. You read the early gospels when Jesus arrives on the scene. What's the first thing that he starts to say? Repent. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent. Turn. I'm here. Jesus is here. It's time to turn. Repent. In Hebrews 6, 1, the author describes it as, <laughs> the author, author describes it as an elementary principle. Not an elementary like school principle, but like a principle. You know, the difference between principle and principle. Which one's principal and which one's principal? You guys don't even know what I'm talking about. Not like an administrator at an elementary school. I don't think anybody thought that. I've digressed so far now. I, gotta get, I have to repent and get back to my sermon. It's an elementary principle. Repentance is. If we don't get repentance, if that's not deeply a part of our lives as Christians, it's like we skipped first through fifth grade in Christianity. You cannot be mature as a Christian without repentance. Now, some of you may feel like Billy Madison, like you should be past elementary school, but here you are. Maybe you've tried to build a religion without the foundation of repentance. So I'm just going to try to answer two questions this morning. Uh, Number one, what does repentance look like to help us get a clear picture of it? And number two, how can we do it? How can we repent? Um, So what does repentance look like? Very simply, it's turning from sin toward God. It's not a really difficult concept. Repentance is turning from sin. These bushes represent sin. Turning from sin and moving toward God. It's an easy concept. Um, If you look back at the two verses we read in 2 Chronicles 7.14... He says, you want to be revived? Turn from your wicked ways, seek my face. Turn from your wicked ways, seek the face of God. That verse we read in Acts, it's in there too. It says, turn from your ignorance, repent from your ignorance, and find yourself in the presence of Jesus. Turn from sin toward God. I think... I'm looking out here, I know most of you. Most of us grew up in church or around church or in a churchy culture where we know the Christian morality. I think that most of us are probably pretty good, I have to be careful here, but probably pretty good at turning from sin. Or at least you're familiar with the concept of don't do that. That's why in churchy cultures, people look so nice. But I suspect that we're not as familiar with the second half of the repentance equation, which is turned toward God. And that's really the more important part. Because if we, if we want to be revived, do you want to be revived? I think I saw like one half a person that did. 
Do you, I really want to be revived and I want to see our church revived. Do you guys, are y'all interested in this being revived? Okay. You will not be revived by turning from your sin. You will not be refreshed by turning from your sin. I said that correctly. That's how I meant to say it. You will not be revived by turning from your sin. You'll be exhausted. If all you have is turning from sin, I got to stop doing this. I got to stop drinking this. I got to stop eating this. I got to stop hanging out with this. I got to stop watching this. I got to stop feeling this way. If all you have is turning from sin, all you're going to get is an exhausting religious structure to your life where you're consumed with guilt and you're afraid to do anything and you're going to become bitter and dark and judgmental and you're going to shrivel up like a prune. A prune of a person. Turning from sin is not going to revive you. It's turning from sin toward God that revives you. Remember how harshly Jesus talked to the really, really religious people, the Pharisees. They were great at turning from sin. They were pros at turning from sin. But Jesus called them, he said, you're like a cup that's washed and polished on the outside, but on the inside is filthy. He says, your hearts are far from me. So how many of us, that's where you're at? You're doing the church thing. Life is a struggle, really. You're trying to turn from sin. You're trying to turn from sin. You have a problem with drinking. You're trying to turn from that. You know you don't need to do that. You're trying to turn from that. You have a problem with, with flying off the handle, getting angry. You're trying to stop that. You're trying to turn from that. It's not working. You have a problem with lust. You're trying not to do that sin. You're trying not to fall into that temptation. Whatever it is. And you're just stuck. And you're just spinning your wheels and you're stuck. Just consider with me that maybe, maybe you're not fully repenting. You're not fully turning. You're just trying to not do some stuff. As opposed to the life Jesus called us to, which is a passionate pursuit of God. It's, a, it's more of a positive thing. Repentance is more of a positive thing. It's not just don't do that. It's do this. Seek God. Worship God. Get to know God. Fill that void that you were trying to fill with, with drugs and drink and pornography or whatever. Fill that void with God. Don't just try to be self-disciplined. It's like I was thinking of this in terms of diet. I think this is how many people approach Jesus and Christianity, it's like you go to the doctor and you're hugely overweight and you're, you feel terrible and you're getting all these sicknesses and the doctor starts asking you questions and he says, well, what, what's your diet like? And you say, well, basically it's McDonald's and Oreos. You know, Oreos is like apparently the worst food that's on earth. So basically I eat McDonald's and Oreos. And the doctor says, well, that's going to kill you. You have to stop eating that stuff. Just pick a different route that doesn't go by McDonald's. At least get a different cookie, not Oreos. Especially not double stuffed Oreos. Because it's going to kill you. And it hits you and you're like, he's right. This stuff that I love 
is sickening. It's, it's destroying me. I've got to stop. And so you go home and you throw your Oreos away immediately. And even though you want to pick them out of the trash and eat them, you don't until some nastier stuff gets on top so you know it's out of the question. And you stop going to McDonald's. You never eat McDonald's again. You never eat another Oreo. And then over time, you're still sick. You still feel bad. And your energy gets lower and lower and lower. And you're like, I'm not eating McDonald's. I'm not eating Oreos. Why am I feeling so bad? Because you're not eating anything good. It's not just avoid the bad. It's take on the good. I think that's why a lot of people aren't really into the whole church thing. Because it feels like a let's stop doing bad camp. When it's really so positive, it's so much more passionate than that. It's, it's seeking the real and living God. And so people in churches are starving to death, just like this fictional character who's not eating McDonald's and Oreos would starve to death, even though he's not anything, anything bad. And you see it in a very famous passage in Luke 15. I'm going to read you a, a whole story here. In Luke 15, Jesus is talking to folks, and he's talking a lot about repentance. And he tells two little stories that show how much God loves it when sinners repent. He loves it. And then he tells a longer, much more famous story to explain what repentance looks like. So since that's the question that we're after, I'm just going to read this whole story to you. You're familiar with it. And it's in Luke 15, starting at verse 11. And he's been talking about repentance, and he said, There was a man... Who had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country and there squandered his property on reckless living. Just to interject, in that culture, going to your dad and saying, Give me my inheritance now, I'm out of here, was basically like saying, I just wish you'd die so I could get your money. Just give it to me now, and I can go ahead and leave. I don't have to see you anymore. wasn't a good thing. Verse 14. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For my son, this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Now his older son was in the field. And as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. 
And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But he, the older brother, was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him. But he answered his father, look, these many years I have served you and I never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when his, this son of yours came, who, was devout, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you're always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad. For this, your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. That's a familiar story, the prodigal son. But did you track along with it and see how repentance is portrayed here? Because that was what Jesus was getting at. Okay, test time, quiz time. Which son repented? You don't know exactly how I want you to phrase it, so nobody wants to say anything. The younger son repented. The one that basically said, I hate you, Dad, I want your money, and I want you dead, and I want to get out of here. He's the one that finally got repentance and came back. Did you notice when he was starving and he wanted to eat out of the pig trough? He didn't say, this is dumb. I need to go get a job. I need to go turn to something else. He turned back to his father. Repentance is always turning back to the father. Okay, now which brother did not get repentance? I'll just say, so you don't have that awkward moment of wondering what to say. The older brother. The older brother represents the religious folks. The ones who say, I never did all this wrong stuff. Probably the ones who, in the end, will stand before Jesus and say, I did all this stuff in your name. But he'll say, I didn't know you, though. You never repented and came to me as a father. You just tried to be a religiously good person. Jesus sums it up more concisely in Luke chapter 5, 32. When he's eaten with some sinful people. And the Pharisees, the religious people, walk up and they say, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners. And Jesus answered them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not called to come the righteous, but sinners to repentance. It's it's the churchy people that are in danger of not getting repentance. Those who grew up around it. I mean, outsiders, people who've never heard of Jesus have the same danger, but it's, it's unique for those of us who are churchy. So I always want to confront you with it. I always want you to think clearly about it. Are you relying on your own righteousness, or do you live a life of repenting and turning back toward God and saying, I'm sorry, I've sinned? Martin Luther said, all the Christian life is one of repentance. Okay, I've got to move on because, man, it's time already. Very quickly, how can we do it? How can we be repentant people? Last passage I'm going to share with you is 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 10. Where is it? Right after Romans. Well, right after 1 Corinthians, which is right after Romans. If you're going to be a stickler for numerical order. 2 Corinthians 7, 10. I, just, I have one little... A tweak in your thinking that I want to give you from the Bible. This is the the big finale of my sermon here. Um, 
2 Corinthians 7.10, Paul writes, For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. A sermon like this is dangerous because it could produce a legalism or a false guilt in people. So I just want to contrast what biblical repentance looks like versus um, introspection or Satan's accusation. Biblical repentance, it, biblical repentance is brought about by the Holy Spirit who searches our hearts and reveals specific sins that are verifiably sinful by the Bible. And then it enables you to repent, to turn. It enables you to turn from it. It gives you clear thinking about who you should confess to, whoever you sinned against. All our sin is against God, so we confess to God, and much of our sin is against certain other people. So we go to them and say, I'm sorry, I've sinned against you in this way. Will you forgive me? And then you're back on track, moving toward God. That's what biblical repentance looks like. Don't get it confused for introspection, which is where we just get all inward and we just start thinking about ourselves all the time, trying to figure ourselves out. Even though the Bible says our heart is deceitful and like nobody can figure out their own heart. And eventually you realize you're not getting anywhere. You're not moving toward God. You're just swimming in a pool of yourself, trying to figure yourself out. Uh, I don't want you walking out of here getting all introspective. That's not the goal. Instead, say, Holy Spirit, will you please search my heart and reveal sin to me and enable me to repent? And if you mean that prayer, he will. And he'll enable you to repent and change and move toward God. Don't get it confused either with the counterfeit of Satan's accusations. The Bible says Satan is a deceiver and an accuser. He wants Christians to be walking around all the time feeling terrible and condemned. But the Bible says there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. So you'll be able to tell the difference as you go along. Conviction from the Holy Spirit is about specific sin, and you're enabled to confess it and turn from it toward God. Accusation from Satan is just, it just pulls you down, makes you feel terrible, makes you feel guilty, makes you feel condemned, and you're never really able to change anything. Are you seeing the contrast? I'm going to take the blank stares as yes. Just one note on the introspection side. I used to be really introspective. I could show you in my bookcases in my study in there a long line of journals that I used to keep of just trying to figure myself out. And that's not always bad. Um, But most of that was because I didn't understand repentance. I was dealing with habitual sin that I never had any power over. And I was just pulled inward. But you know, I really don't journal anymore. And I think that's because God's pulled me out of myself a little bit. I'm not saying journaling's wrong. I don't, don't get me wrong there. And I can see over time, my journals, all that introspection sort of turned more into a prayer journal where I just said, God, sorry, I sinned and I really, really need you to change me. And then praying about other stuff. And you can see like a, tr- uh, a transition over time to more Godward focus as I got repentance a little better. Godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret. 
I think that's what Peter meant when he said times of refreshing will come. That's what I want for us, for me, and for you. Salvation without regret. Breathing easy. Moving steadily toward God. Yes, you're still going to sin. We're very messed up by sin. But no, it's not good. you don't have to think that that's going to ruin everything. If you are in Christ, there's no condemnation for you. And we can move together toward God. So what that will look like specifically is a lot of prayer, a lot of asking the Holy Spirit to search our hearts, reveal things to us, enable us, and probably a lot of confession. I mean, when's the last time you went to somebody and said, I sinned against you, and I'm sorry. Realistically, if we're living lives of repentance, that should be happening pretty frequently. It's humbling, isn't it? Oh, that's another one of these pointers of how to seek revival. It's all coming together. And then after confession and and just leaning on God to help you change, it'll start to look like that new life that Jesus promised us. That new life. That's not, last time I'm going to say it, that's not stuck over here trying to manage sin and trying to clip it and stop doing it. That's just leaving it behind and moving on to glorifying God with our lives, with our church. So let's do that. And we're going to sing a song now, and it's your opportunity to start. Start praying for the Holy Spirit to search your heart now. Pray in your pew. Pray up here. Pray with me. Pray with your somebody sitting beside you. Um, this song's a good opportunity to begin, and I'll be around at the end of the service if you need to speak with me about anything. Let me pray for you now, and then we'll, we'll sing. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the forgiveness and new life that Jesus offers. And I ask that you would search our hearts and reveal to us ways in which we need to change and repent and turn toward you and that you would enable us to do so. That you would give us all a grand vision of you and your glory and how our lives might just get swept up into you and what you're doing in the world in serving people and alleviating poverty and telling people about Jesus and being the light in this dark world. May times of refreshing come to Doolin's Grove. In Jesus' name, amen.